and welcome to another English edition of my podcast Helium Talk, das Kunstgespräch. This is a very special one, one that has been a long time in the idea department of Let's Do This Sometime Soon and marks yet another step in expanding my reach with these talks. It did not take place in my studio, but we've been sitting a couple of thousand miles apart and in different time zones. I spoke with Jonathan Levine, who is one of the most prestigious figures in the American contemporary art scene. Since 1995, he has been exhibiting artists in different venues and cities. He has been at the forefront of bringing artists from pop culture, lowbrow and graffiti into the established art world. In 2005, he opened the Jonathan Levine Gallery in New York's posh gallery district Chelsea and set standards for the presentation of a generation of artists that has long been neglected, becoming one if not the most successful gallery for a new era in contemporary art. Towards the end of this year, though, Jonathan closed his physical gallery space to take a step back and consider new ways to approach a market that has become very difficult in recent years. Jonathan and I are friends for a long time, and we often talk for hours via video chat about the business, the people we work with, our experiences and the state of the art world. As friends do, we exchange knowledge and stories. Since I started this podcast in February, we always thought it might be a good idea to share some of this with my listeners, because we both feel that there are a lot of topics from our private conversations that might be interesting insights for others who are also in the art circus, be it in a professional manner or as observers and fans. So this is only the first of a series of talks Jonathan and I are planning to have. I hope you all enjoyed as much as we did recording it. As always, I'm looking forward to your feedback by mail at heliumtalk at heliumcowboy.com or any of the other channels where you can reach out to me. It is very important for me to hear what you guys think so I can improve Helium Talk along the way. But also, if you have questions or issues regarding our conversations and my guests, please send them over so we can continue the discussion. Helium Talk. Christmas time before Christmas uh, don't you miss being in Miami right now <laughs> <laughs> you know I have I have really mixed feelings about it um I miss the sun and I miss you know the warm weather and all that because it's cold as hell in New Jersey right now yeah, sure but also I I have mixed feelings about it because every year I go down and I'm enjoying a lot of it but I'm disliking a lot of it And a lot of it has to just do with, um, well, there's just too much going on and yeah. everything's just really oversaturated and it gets really overwhelming and, you know, and then, you know, all the politics of the whole thing comes up because everyone, you know, is there and then. You know, you're down there. Typically, you're, I'm always down there with a fair, and it's always risk risky. And sometimes you make some money. Sometimes you lose some money. Um, there's a lot of partying that goes on. And when I was younger, that was really fun and really exciting. But now that I'm older, uh, it's not, you know, it's you get tired. You just kind of like, oh, it's the same thing. It, it feels a little bit like somebody, you know, it's funny. Jerry Saltz had just written this. Yeah. Jerry Saltz, the uh, very famous New York art critic, yeah. ha had written this post on like Instagram and Facebook. And he was writing about, he, he wrote something that didn't really make sense, actually. But one of the st statements he made was um, that he was, it was about the art fairs and how it's like a hamster wheel. And, you know, and this is the first year that I'm not on the hamster wheel. You know, I feel like that way about 
the art market as a whole. It's just a hamster wheel. And and I feel I find the fairs to be like this constant, it's like a drug. It's an addiction, especially the Miami fairs. And that there's always this constant promise of, yo, you're going to do good this year. You're going to do great this year. The <laughs> fairs course. are always selling you this, you know, and then you go down there and it's not. And it's it's fun in a lot of ways, but it's exhausting. And it sucks when you lose money. So you're yeah, like, no, what I mean, was the point of that? Yeah, but, the, you know, that's the thing you can't foresee, basically. But I think in the past years, it has basically proven that it's very, very hard to make any money. And a lot of the galleries that I know that go down there, they don't talk about making money. They talk about making contacts and the atmosphere and stuff like that. For yeah. me, I mean, I've, I've been absent from Miami for uh, a couple of years. I think 2009, we did the last time Miami. And um, and I always said at one, some point, you know, I'd like to go back. Um, but every year around this time of year when, you know, I see friends posting Miami pictures and stuff like that. And the only thing I really miss is the sun. Um, because I mean, it's less, it's this, that's the same. I mean, most of the galleries I work with and when they go there, they all lose money. And of course there's still galleries that make money and we're not talking about Art Basel. There's also people who lose a lot of money at Art Basel. But, that's right. Um, on the, uh, but you know, it's not necessarily the point. If you can afford to go there, you should go there and present yourself in the sun to international clients and collectors because they still go there, you know, as an entertainment. Yeah. It, but the problem is that, you know, when I, when the fair started originally, I remember the first year I went. What was, was the first year you went? I went to Scope in Miami in 2005. Okay. So what's that, 13 years ago? Yeah. And Or 14 years ago, whatever. And um, back then it was like you had the main fair and then you had like maybe three or four satellite fairs. Yeah, no, I, I remember those days. <laughs> you know, yeah, of course. And then you, it would be like the market wasn't oversaturated. Um, there were you would meet new collectors, you would meet, you know, serious, you know, people from museums and other art institutions and all the things that you'd want out of it. And it would help grow an artist's career. Um, but now between the fact that there, when you go to Basel, Miami, there's like 25 fair, you know, go to Miami for the art fairs, there's like 25 fairs going on, multiple pop-up shows, multiple museum shows, you know, multiple parties. And then think on top of that, there are these art fair weekends happening all over the world, constantly, nonstop. So yep. between people being oversaturated with that and just being oversaturated with the internet and Instagram, the whole market's oversaturated. So it's all the years that I've been going down, let's say that since like, I don't know, 2008, 2009, I there weren't collectors that you would meet that would continue to buy from you. And I stopped meeting institutional people and all that kind of stuff because they, A, just didn't either come around or B, they already knew who you were or you had contact with them through the internet. So personally, I, and I would, I would, I feel like the fairs for the most part are, are a scam and that the only people really benefiting from them are the art fair people themselves. And it's great for artists for exposure. But sure. at, for a gallerist, it's hugely risky. And unless you have something that you know is going to do really well, like typically it would be for us, we'd be like, oh, well, we have an artist that we know we're going to, all our clients are going to buy, buy this work before we, you know, online pre, you know, we'll do a pre-sale. We'll offer yeah, this sure. work up before we're even there and we'll sell the work. It'll be all sold out. People will show up. They'll see the works all sold out and they'll think, oh, wow, this 
this gallery is doing really well. And of course, the fair will also say, oh, this gallery sold, you know, $500,000 worth of work at our fair, where in fact, it didn't. In fact, you know, it sold, they, we sold the work by ourselves personally. So like that's, that's, and any gallerist in the game, everybody knows that's what's happening. Yeah. Um, I mean, in I mean, some ways it's really good because it sort of creates this, uh, you know, the difference now is there's so many good things and bad things is that, you know, it's sort of like this art tourism where the general public now goes to these art fairs where they never cared any before. So like the general public is much more engaged in the visual arts, which is great. So there's an upside to it. Sure. But I, I mean, remember those times is when we went to Miami for the very first time in 2006, we didn't know what to expect. Right. But it was an affordable risk because the fare was not that expensive. Right. It was still expensive, but it was like, it was a risk, you know, but it was still kind of okay to do that. And we had a good year. Um, so, and we were basically invited, but, you know, so if we both know what invited means, we, we paid less, a lot less actually in that year. But uh, we still had to pay, of course, um, and our flight tickets and shipping. And I think the first time I got these offers from these shipping companies, I was like, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's like two boxes here, two crates that we're shipping over and it's that expensive. And right. Whatever. And what kind of cost would that be? Just so people know. Oh, well, I don't know. We always had it between, you know, sort of when we ship, we always try to ship very smart, you know, so like put everything in one crate. Remember the crate that I constructed? There was a crate and at the same time converted into our furniture at the fair. Oh, that's right. That was really so smart. We, yeah, we also saved money on storage on the fairs because on fairs everything costs money. <laughs> That's right. You know, and I mean, uh, I think so. I think it's might... between five thousand and ten thousand euro, depending on what you're shipping. Um, is what the cost simply is, and you can't be lucky if you ship, you know, very few items back. Then usually it gets a little bit cheaper on the way back. That's but true. It's, uh, but it's super expensive. But at that time, you know, first time we were there, we had a really fantastic year. Um, we, you know, sold like, I don't know, 70, 75% of everything we brought. And we didn't know any collectors over there. We knew right. the friends with you at that time, the only people that we knew in Miami. Um, so we had kind of contact and they put us up in a, in a very nice uh, place to stay and stuff like that. But um, that's basically it. We just, yeah, we, that, we, was we just we, we, that was during the art bubble. And it was also during the time when people would only find new art through galleries and fairs. Exactly. Not they saw us, you know, we got, yeah, we got recognition because you had to go there to find us. Uh, I was just talking to someone earlier um, that the first Miami fair, I did this Alex Diamond Miami Diaries blog. It was a blog. It was a website, you know, one of the first people, right. galleries actually using blogging software were we, at least in Germany, that was, that was us. And we had like three and a half thousand people reading those blog entries every day because there was no alternative to that. And so we got a lot of recognition. It was fantastic, you know, sort of to be there. Um, and also at that time, I think it was just like, you know, the big fair. And then they had, I had, did they already have design? Maybe that this one photo fair. And then it was like scope and two others. That's it. Or the one either. Right. You know, it was like, and Winwood was still dangerous to walk around. <laughs> That's right. Nobody was, they weren't doing much over there. Yeah. And that was a very, that was, that was very interesting. It was fun. It's at the point when it comes where it's just, you know, too much. I'm looking at the, at the Instagram feed, you know, sort of, uh, of, of my friends and galleries that I follow and I see what they're doing and what they're trying to do. It's the same I'm trying to do here, get recognition for the work that I'm having, try to get people into the exhibition, try to show them why we're special um what's different but from there's at some point there's such an, an amazing huge overload of images that I, I i can't even watch it anymore watch it anymore you know yeah, exactly like, uh, 
And then it's there's too some, much. Yeah. A lot of things are also similar. When you say we have an artist that we can take there, that we know, uh, that we can sell, right now I don't think many galleries still have something like that because every gallery has new different artists. Every well, gallery. Can I, can I back up a little? Because sure. that is a conversation. The one thing that I wanted to yeah. talk sure. about, because we talk about this in an abstract way, like we're kind of like, oh, it costs so much money. Why don't you talk about, we can both yeah. talk about, what a fair cost. So sure. whoever's listening, mm -hmm has an understanding we're talking about if we don't give concrete numbers then they're not really going to understand I, I, I agree what what that's about so for you um i mean i can also talk about for me you know what would the fair cost like what yeah. did the booth cost yeah we never i mean you had always had bigger booths than we did i yeah. think we always try to have take small booths so it's not that expensive but i don't know like for i don't know 12 to the first time when we were there the first times we had like I think between 12 and 15 square meters, like really tiny boxes. I'm like not sure what that time. is in feet. Uh, times three. What's that? Times three, I think. Okay. Um, but not, I mean, so not, they're not very big. Um, a lot smaller than your gallery at home. And, you know, so like the average cost at that time, you know, I think the last time we went, uh, we had a bigger booth, of course. We paid like, I don't know, around about 20000 for for just the, the fair itself. Like the for, So $20,000 for the booth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then how much was your flights and hotels? Yeah, well, the, I always took one assistant and one artist with me. Um, so it's like flights and hotel accommodation for like three people. That's also like another you know, 8,000. And 10, you're also paying the assistant. Yeah. I'm paying the assistant. Um, I'm, uh, I'm paying for all the food down there. Um, so we're, so we're at 28. Oh yeah. You're paying for, yeah. go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, no, that's fine. But I mean, like, I think like an average and then the shipping comes on top of us. Fares cost us over these years in the United States between 35 and 45,000 euros just to go there, just to be there. Yeah. So be exactly. which means so you I, have I to would... sell, they have to sell art for 90,000 dollars to at least break even which is also not something that makes you happy but if you're going to be happy you need to sell art for 150,000 dollars so yeah so you're what you're saying is so people understand so you had it cost you between 35 to 45,000 to go mm -hmm. yep. everything in that's the booth shipping mm -hmm. flying people down food and all sorts of things that people don't even think about you can't really get into the details of it costing 200 it costs 200 dollars to rent a chair from Yep. the fair because you didn't buy one get one yourself because you didn't bring it with you i mean we all figured out other ways around that like go to target and buy that stuff but you know or you're like we need a couple extra lights that's another 500 dollars. so these <laughs> yeah. costs just keep going or yeah. you need to rent the internet and the internet's not working properly and that's costing yeah. you an additional 20 dollars a day or something it's just the the cost just and it is miami so it's very expensive mm -hmm. so the cost just so it keeps adding up so a small booth 35 to forty-five thousand. All in, and we get half of what we sell typically, not even all the time. No. So, like, if somebody wants a big discount, and a lot of people want big discounts at the fair, sure. the artist might not share the whole discount with you. They might share 10, they might share 20. Good chance they're not going to share 30%. Mm -hmm. um, so, you're going to be eating that. So, if your fair, if your fair costs 35 to 45,000, you had to just to break even, you have to do 70 to 90,000 minimum. Mm -hmm. And I mean, granted, you know, a lot of times we'd go and do a fair and we would make, we would not make the minimum, but later we'd sell the work. So it would, we might make a little bit of money, 
There were very few years where I made a lot of money and there were many years where I lost money. So yeah. people need to understand like what the huge amount of investment it is. And artists of- themselves that are participating in these things, they have an idea, but in my opinion, they're, <laughs> they act a little naive because, you know, who wants to acknowledge the fact that the dealer is taking this huge risk on you? Um, so in, in my opinion, so that's, you know, what I have to say about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, I mean, you just take a big financial risk. And of course, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that part that if, even if you don't make money on the art fair, you, especially coming from Europe, from Germany, at that time it was very important for us to meet these people. Um, but I, as I said, until 2008, I made money on all the fairs in Miami. But my uh, feeling not necessarily in New York, but in Miami, yes. But so, so, uh, you know, for us, it was probably more important to be there because you're already in the market. Like when you're in New York, you know, and you're doing the New York art fair, True. you know, so um, True. for me, going to New York and meeting all these people and, and getting into the circles of, of, you know, certain art scene and collector scene, um, you know, just, just alone, you know, sort of, you know, meeting with you and, you know, meeting people through you, you know, like True. the context that we make, uh, that's already, you know, sort of in some parts beneficial, but it is, you know, simply also... St- I mean, people also stop buying after the fairs and stuff like that because it's just, you know, too much that they can see and that they can buy. And, where they, and the thing with the discounts, who, well, most of the artists don't like that. I personally hate discounts. I put a price on an artwork and there shouldn't be a discount. The first time I was on an art fair in 2005 with the gallery, there was this one guy and he was a collector and he said, mm, yeah, I want to take those that, that work. How much is, what's my price? And said, your price is the 2,500 euros that's on the price tag because I don't know you says, wow, that's not good business. You know, and I said, what's good business? I said, well, I'm an experienced collector. I get 20% everywhere. And because you're a new gallery, you know, I think I could expect 30% just to get me into your buy-in. With me, somebody with my background just gets pissed at these people. Yeah. <laughs> so I got really terribly pissed at him. But he, he put some knowledge into me that was important for the next phrase. So when people came to me and said, well, okay, that's $500. Okay, yeah. Hmm. Can you do better? I didn't start being aggressive. I knew they learned it this way. They learned that at fairs they can always bargain because, especially from Europe, you don't want to take the shit with you back with you. You know. So yeah, you there's like also the things much, people yeah. don't know about all the details of that kind of stuff. Like, and also I'd say depending on what country you're in, they have different um, ways that they barter and they think about, you know, pricing. So when I would go to Italy, and I have to mention that I, I'm half Italian American, so. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to disrespect the Italians, which is my favorite country. <laughs> uh, but the Italians, when you go and you're in Italy, they expect, and it's a, it's just the way they do business. They think everything is marked up. Mm-hmm. So because they think everything's artificially marked up, they expect you to mark it down. What they don't realize is in the U.S., we don't do that. And so if I were to do another fair in Italy, truthfully, mm-hmm. I would mark my prices up 20%. Because I know that these collectors would be looking for 20 to 30% discount. And, you know, culturally, it really depends where you go. And oftentimes, if somebody really is a serious collector and they have that kind of money, in my opinion, they'd never say to you, oh, I need a discount. They're too rich to care. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so sometimes people say that and it's not, it's kind of nonsense. They're like kind of, puffing themselves up they're playing they're trying to play you and be like oh i'm an important collector it's like well i don't know if you're an important collector and we're talking about twenty five hundred dollars here 
So is this an ego thing where you need to get some discount off so it can validate that you, how important you think you are to yourself? Mm -hmm. Um, it's frustrating. You're like, I'm struggling here. And you know, if you had all this money and you understood we were a young gallery and these are young artists, you wouldn't be asking for those kind of discounts. I think it's okay mm -hmm. to expect a discount. Um, I think it's okay to ask for 10%. Uh, you know, if there's a piece still sitting at the end of a fair, sure. And you could ask for more and the gallery can be like, yeah, or nay. You're like, yeah, I would say no. Most of the times like, you know what? I'll sell this work later. I don't need to give it away. Um, it all just depends on what your particular needs are. Yeah. Like with you, it's like, oh, I want to ship less stuff back. Uh, might as well just sell it for less and save also money on my shipping. Sure. We sold a lot on the last day in Miami. <laughs> Especially in New York, I think we sold a lot on the last day. Where people, for most people, it's, it's super easy in New York because they live there and they come to the fair. And then if they go around on like Saturday evening or Sunday um, during the day and see a piece that's still there and that they liked before, and then they say, "Okay, I'll, I want to take it home with me right now." Um, so I'll take it off your hands now. You don't have to even, you know, so wrap it properly. I'll just take it off, you know, sort of. And then they come with, uh, "What's my price?" <laughs> and right. I can understand that. That could be an argument. I mean, it's um, it's weird that we're talking that when art. That we don't have fixed prices that you know sort of basically like that's the price but then a lot of people cannot understand how prices are made for artworks yeah, I mean, um so I, i understand that there's a lot of uh that there's still you know some some leeway and some you know some 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 uh, some some room for for negotiation i mean obviously the whole pricing conversation is a very much a longer conversation that's yeah. potentially something we could talk about later yeah I, uh, this is the one thing i want to do jonathan if we manage because all the stuff we, we can probably do a couple of Uh, a series of podcasts about certain topics. Yeah, um, we'll see how what they do. Could be this is what we do now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we, can, we can rename it then too. That's, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I, the one question I want to ask you is, you know, you talk about um, going and making contacts, and and of course now when we go, you know, you still make contacts. But I started to feel like a while ago that like I wasn't really making any real lasting contacts with say collectors that I met at fairs mm -hmm. or museums or anything. It just really wasn't that I wasn't getting that from that. Obviously I could just go down to a fair, hang out and meet people, certainly meeting other dealers and lots of people is great. And if you're smart, you can turn it, those relationships into, you know, better things, but those relationships still take lots of time and energy. It's not like it's this easy thing. You meet someone and all of a sudden your, your, your luck changes. It's not like that. Mm -hmm. So, and there's other ways now, just as there's other ways for artists to do business, to meet people, to interact with people that don't rely on you having to be in these places. Um, I mean, it, and I also, again, feel, I feel like probably going to like Basel, Switzerland, if I was really trying to break into the European scene would be a better thing for me to do because it's a smaller affair. So it's easier to continue to run into people and see people in Miami. There's so much stuff going on that it's just a giant party and it's very hard for things to stick. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you, what your feelings are about that. The thing is I never was, I was never really happy in Basel um, because the, 
there's it's a, it's a very different market again and not and especially in the last years there were not so many american or international collectors traveling to basel art basel itself has made a lot of competition for itself with all these other spin-off art basels i think right now i spoke to a collector in in, in olbo in denmark recently and And he, he likes to go to the art fairs, but of course he's a businessman and he can't go to all the art fairs. It's just too much. So he picks out a few that he really likes. And one that he discovered, uh, like for the last two years for him is Hong Kong, Art Basel Hong Kong. So he doesn't go to Miami anymore. He goes to Hong Kong right now and he's just waiting up for maybe other interesting locations that are opening. So a lot of like, this is like a super collector. He's just like, like thousands of works from basically all, every big artist that you know and and he's he's like he's he's he's, he's very good in, in in what he does as a collector uh, so very influential but he just picks few fairs yeah and he's probably he a very different kind of collector that you and i um used to um you know when you're if he's probably just buying like blue chip stuff that he knows is going to have value like right now everybody wants cause right because this market's yeah, sure. going like crazy but you know is he is he showing up at scope is he showing up at pulse is he showing up at the you know satellite fairs is he looking for young artists most of those collectors like or a lot of those collectors that go to those you know the bigger fairs are looking for better investments so yeah they're not I going mean, to the small fairs most of the time What's that? They're not going to the small fairs or the yeah, satellite so that, fairs. Yeah, so that's a conversation to talk about the different levels of different collectors and the different, you know, levels of selling. And a lot of people just don't even understand, you know, that, you know, the satellite fairs are for predominantly emerging and mid-level galleries. And the, you know, the big fairs, which, you know, there's, you know, a handful of or comparatively to the satellite fairs mm -hmm. are for more the blue chip or the really... Occasionally, mid-level galleries will get into them, but it's really hard. And for like high-end secondary market stuff by dead artists and things like that. So that's a different collector. And um, that's not really the world that you and I lived in um, or still live in. Um, no. So, I mean, I don't know that people really understand that. Yeah, um, but, but that's, so yeah. My question was, though, is did you, do you really feel like you benefited Was there long-term benefits with the relationships you were making when you come to the States? You and I are completely different because I live here and I had my gallery in New York and, and, a, and a, you know, I was established here. Um, and I go to Miami and, of course, Miami's different. There's collectors from all over the place, all over the world. But my question is, did you really feel like, let's say the past 10, you know, I don't know, 10 years that you know, these relationships that you're meeting, these contacts you're making were sticking that they, you, for all the money you were putting into it, you were getting that back. I, one thing that is definitely still sticking. Um, we haven't been at these fairs for a few years now, but I think last time I went to the United States to do a fair was a uh, Volta show in New York in 2010 um, with a solo by Boris Hoppick at that time. What, what, what stuck basically is that we still have, That people know us. We were there at a very good time when the recognition was still high. So we're one of the few European galleries that are still known abroad. You know, I mean, at that time uh, in Miami, there was uh, Mark Danis was there, um, who's now huge, you know, but it's also a different background where she comes from and how she do, does her gallery and stuff like that. But there weren't many galleries from Europe who were there. Um, so, so that definitely stuck. I still have a very good reputation uh, abroad for Helium Cowboy, even though I've changed the concept twice since, and I'm not doing that many shows, but 
I have a lot of people actually coming under the week. Uh, I just in um, what was that in May? I had an uh, American couple in here, uh, you know, sort of very wealthy, uh, super nice uh, couple from California. Um, they were here for two days. They went to see two galleries, and we were one on the top of the list because they just still have we still have this good reputation. I also have a lot of good contacts. Um, that are still there, you know, I mean, a lot of the artists that I've met at the time, of course, some of them have been famous, some of them are not doing art anymore. Um, but of course, it's kind of, it's uh, it's fading because I'm not going there anymore and I'm not interacting as much anymore with, with these people. But there's a few people, like if I'd go to Miami, there's a, at least this one collector's family who have a foundation and and everything and and residencies and we work together for a while. They're basically just looking forward for me coming over there and then we just you know sort of have a brunch or a meet and they will definitely you know sort of be very helpful for me when I return because there's you know sort of some trust in what I'm doing because I'm doing it for such a long time and because we had good times at that time. But I think what also helped me at those fairs at that time uh, was when we were in Miami. Basically, nobody else was in Miami or in New York at that time. We were the gallery from Hamburg, from Germany, who went there. So we had a lot of interest in Germany as well um, for that, you know, and in Europe. So for my for my brand and for the name of Helium Cowboy, it was very good at that time. And, you know, sort of very often I still see the results of it. People just know us. Um, and And I haven't spent much on marketing these last years except for doing social media and uh yeah and artsy which uh, uh which is also a different topic the whole online thing um <laughs> but but yeah i mean it's it's uh, i still think it was very valuable especially because for a few years i actually made my money back uh on and made uh, and, and so but my money. question was see i don't i yeah I, know what, I feel yeah. like the fairs were good but i my my feeling is every like i'd say the past five to six years when i go down there's no lasting. There's very little for what I get for what I put into it. What I get back from it, it's a diminishing return. I think and it's different now. Yeah, that that is my feeling about it. Mm -hmm. Like you go down, it's like I'm not. I, for the longest time, these collectors aren't continuing to buy other artists out of my program. They were just there. They were looking to buy something and they bought it, or I had something they wanted, but it didn't continue. Uh, it didn't help necessarily with. I mean, for me, it was like, oh, we're going to go there. We're going to meet some curators and maybe that's going to help us get involved in some good institution and blah, blah, blah. But the whole art world doesn't work that way anymore. True. So those wouldn't be really reasonable expectations. The main expectation, you're like, I'm going to make some, meet some new collectors and have these people be buying other things for me later in the year from other artists I work with. But that doesn't happen. No, it doesn't happen anymore. So... My my thing is like again to me it's you know a diminishing return on your investment. Mm -hmm. No, I mean at the time when we went to the fairs and everything, I, I, we sold so much into the, the United States of our clients from our exhibitions in Hamburg. We had almost you know sort of sold out shows you know before the opening, and fifty percent, sixty percent of the work went to the United States to people who bought there. But after the financial crisis, all this stopped. So, it just stopped. I, I so, which was 2008. Yeah, yeah um, 2008. 2009 was still an okay year. Yeah. Because I think a couple of people still, you know, I mean, the thing is with the financial crisis, a lot of these wealthy people, they did not lose money <laughs> or not enough. They just focused on other markets and they, you know, sort of were looking for more security and for less 
fun, you know. And um, and like if you if you if you invested, uh, um, I had this one collector in Miami in 2009 where we, you know, so it was a very miserable year for us. I mean, it was a beautiful fair, but and the weather was nice, and you know, had nice swims and stuff, and nice parties, and met nice people, but financially it was a disaster. And <laughs> um, and uh, and I had this 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 one collector coming to me at the opening. Uh, we were at Scope, that yeah, we were at Scope and the opening preview. And we brought an artist over that that she, that that she was really interested in from 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 Germany, and she really loved the work. And we had this one piece. I remember I brought that over. Very complicated to bring over because I was. You know, normally, you know, it was, I don't know, it was what, 22,000 euros, 25, 26,000. I think we sold it. We, we offered it for 25,000 euros, uh, dollars at that time. Um, and, and I knew she was super interested in the piece and she came and she loved the art and she loved the piece. She met the, the artist. We talked about it. And, and then at one point she took me, my, uh, uh, so I said, yeah, should we have a cigarette outside? And, you know, so yeah, sure. We got a cigarette. So yeah, okay, listen, one thing. I would have bought this piece. But we cut our budget for the fairs when we buy stuff from one million dollars that they usually always spend. They go to the art basel, but they also like young like young art and buy right. stuff down to one hundred thousand dollars. Not because we have to, but because we think it's a good sign of the times that we're not, you know, sort of spending so much money. Nobody's spending that money anymore. And usually I would have loved to do this, but we've already spent most of our money. She bought a piece for 5,000 euros from us because the dollars, that was the last money she basically had from her spendings. And she said, okay. And when I met her at the end of the fair, she said, it was super relaxing because we just, you know, spent our budget much quicker than the last years. And since then, we're just, you know, sort of making parties, making friends, traveling. She's actually was the first time she went with her husband on a fishing trip during the art fairs. So people were focusing on something else and not us anymore. And so there was not much money left. The, the, the the pleasure of buying art, I think that was gone, you know, so for a lot of people. It wasn't important anymore to go to Art Basel and buy a piece. A lot of people just well, came I to a window that, shop. You know, unfortunately, there's a, it's a market that's continually changing in a lot of ways. And it's probably a lot bigger, but for a lot of people, it wasn't it doesn't have the smallness and coolness of what it used to be. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like an and also, I think it, it's almost like, you know, there's not a lot of cool kids in the room. Now it's all any old, like, yep. you know, nerd that can get involved or somebody, you know, it's like it. And there's so many more of them. And so it's sort of lost, I think, a level of prestige probably to some extent in my in some way. But also, I think people have a tendency collectors have a ten, or people just as a whole. They're always cycling through to the next thing. So maybe they spend five years really involved in this specific time in the art world. And it was really enriching for them in terms of the people they're meeting, how fun it was, the artists they were meeting, the art they were buying, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe financially the return was also very good. Mm-hmm. But then after a while, when it started, people just get bored. They're like, yeah, I'm moving on to the next thing. I always compare it to music. And you and I talk about music a lot. It's like there's an, a band will come out and if, if a band has, and we talk about rock music, which is what we, came up on yeah. nowadays rock music is like jazz music in the the 80s or something <laughs> like i mean <laughs> it's just the weirdest thing um how people perceive it i'm still 100 percent involved in listening to rock music playing rock music it's yeah. an active live you know art form for me but um where everyone else is listening to electronic music or whatever um but so where was i going with this so a record will come out a, a band will come out but you could say this about whatever popular music mm-hmm. and that person will be 
really successful. I remember in the early 2000s in the US, and I don't know how it was in Germany, um, but um, what was this band that came out? And everyone was like, this is the greatest band ever, The Strokes. The Strokes, yeah. The Strokes came out, and it was like, it was like the second coming of Jesus or something. And I was like, I don't understand. I like the Strokes. They're okay. Sure. But they were just like this revivalist garage band, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But like, it was, they were so huge. It was like the craziest thing. And that was the beginning of bands like the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's getting big and mm-hmm. a, this whole new generation of rock bands, a lot coming out of New York. And, um, but then like their second record didn't do so well. People don't talk about the Strokes. Like, it's funny because this band, um, that was touring with them that was opening for them Kings of Leon I think has gotten way bigger they play these giant stadium shows and blah 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 and they've had this longer kind of rock career but point being is people cycle through things and they don't necessarily last and if a band has three records and they have a 10-year career where they're really hot on top of things that's a long time so you know people just get bored quick it's we're in this kind of it's become more and more of this recyclable community, like this recyclable culture. Like what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? Which sucks for people like us. It sucks for artists. It sucks for a lot of people because we're invested in these artists for a long period of time and it costs us a lot of money. And I'm not interested in always jumping on to the next thing. That doesn't interest me. That's not a particularly fulfilling um, relationship to have with something like, Oh, what's the next new thing? What's the next new thing? This whole f- fear of missing out, you know, and people kind of fall into, I don't have an interest in that. And obviously as, because we're older, we have a, a different relationship probably with culture than people who are younger than us because we didn't grow up with this constant feed of new stuff. So I can always go back and listen to like all the old records that I love, like Zeppelin, the police, the Beatles, Fagazi, whoever. And I really eat a steady diet of that. I don't necessarily need to be finding the next new thing, the next new thing. Not to say that I'm not looking to some extent. Quite frankly, there isn't a lot of new rock music that I enjoy. I got to really dig for it. And I'm too lazy at this stage in my life to, to do that. I'm yeah. satisfied with what I have. But I'm, there's this sort of idea of like this recyclable everything, be it clothing, mm-hmm. art, music, food, whatever. What's the next new thing? What crazy new restaurant concept idea can we come up with? You know, Korean tacos or, you know, pizza, (laughs) forget about it. They're putting every kind of fruit you can imagine on pizza. They've been doing that for decades. Me, I just want to eat a margarita pizza. So that's what I got to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, that's, um, but take it back to the art, what the artists that you've worked with around, you know, so the, the bubble times, like, 2005, 2006, maybe even a little bit earlier. But how many artists of that generation are you still working with? Uh, I mean, we just dropped some names. Shepard Ferry is an artist that you. you well, I mean, it's it's you know, here's the thing, right? I mean, uh, you know, we haven't discussed this, but I, I closed my gallery last week, yeah. so, and I'm kind of reinventing myself and trying to find my way. And most of the artists that I work with during that time. I don't work with any kind of regularity anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I don't want to. It's because I basically lost them to larger galleries or I lost them essentially to one of the bigger and more important things is I lost them to the internet and their own independence. Um, And they're, they're, they're basically 
the middleman has been cut out more and more for artists. So they don't really need us as much. And that makes our jobs much harder. And it also makes the idea of investing in someone long-term not such a good idea because you're not, and imagine you're working at something like most people, they like expect to say they go take a job and their idea is I'm going to invest all this time and energy. I'm going to take less money. I'm going to learn the job and I'm going to invest in this. And in the long run, I'm going to make more money. I'm going to save money and blah, blah, blah. That's, you know, the basic idea with work. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So imagine you're investing in people and things that are not invested in you anymore. Like that's not a good investment and that is not a good way to invest your life. Yeah. I mean, eventually I would venture to say that getting into the gallery business now, unless you fo focus on it in a very particular way is one of the worst long-term investments a person could make as for a living. If you're as a gallerist, um, artists, it's different. Um, so unless you're approaching it, like I always say, the only way to really make a lot of money in the art, the art business, and this is a friend, my friend Carlo McCormick would say, is if you come with money in the first place and you really manipulate the market and you control it like a stock. And I have no interest in, in working that way in the art market. That doesn't interest me. Yeah, that's, um, that's probably, I mean, a lot of the larger galleries are funded, are funded, uh, are based on, you know, working for, off from the money I mean, that they already have. Enough, yeah. Another longer conversation. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, I agree with that, with the artist thing. I think that's, that's the, the, that artists have become, I mean, it's uh, independent is probably the wrong word. They've been independent before, but once, uh, you know, so you found a gallery that works with you, like in the way that you and I work with artists, like, right try to build them up, invest money into them firstly. That's right. Um, and, you know, so like you know, me taking an artist to Miami is business-wise, from my perspective, an unnecessary cost because most people that buy art are not necessarily interested in meeting the artist. For me, it was also uh, very important because I, I believe that these artists can do something there that brings them that educates them, that helps them go further, meet other artists, go on to these parties, um, see how an opening is done, take a look at our job, take a look at how, what we work, how I work, um, how my assistants work, how other galleries work. Uh, so, so that's also an investment into the, into this artist to, to show him this is, you know, where it's headed. This is what we can do. And also to make contacts for the artists who maybe like in Miami it was important that um, like with Nina Braun, it was important that we tried to get her into the residency in Miami, a very good residency, the Fountainhead residency. Uh, so that was like, that was very good for, because you got the residency. Um, well, let me ask you a question. And, uh, that's all good and fine, right? Yeah. But what did you get for that investment? In her case, nothing. But um, <laughs> uh, but that's, that's different. But look with Boris, for what example. Did you get, what with did Boris you get for all the investment that you put into all those art fairs? Well, I mean... In the long run, from those artists, what did you get? Well, you know, sort of with a lot of the art, with, you know, some of the artists I managed to, at least the time we were together, um, get them established uh, a little bit and make some money on my side, but that was not the first intention. But, you know, so to be brutally honest, um, there's not a lot of, the, of that got stuck, you know. I see that now today that uh, I have a very good reputation amongst very important people in the art world. Uh, and, you know, interestingly enough, the artists that actually became bigger and big 
I still have contact with those. They are in the same case with you that our bigger galleries fetch them up, or of course they have to, you know, of course, they, you know, I can't do everything for these but artists. But are you making money from that investment you put in there? That huge 40, 50, 60, $100,000 investment? People will take yeah. that kind of money and buy a house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, they'd invest it into something. You invested it into living people, and what did you get back for it? I think that. that you know, I'm just saying, just to no, put it in real life perspective. Well, you can't people. put it. You can, of course, put, put it into figures. But the, the but the fact that I'm still remaining, you know, sort of to be active and that I still live. For, I mean, for 16 years now, I live off uh, producing and of uh, um, uh, selling, uh, producing art and and and, uh, and running a gallery. Um, and I think I would not be able to do this now, especially because times have even gotten. More I don't know if I agree with that, but uh, you think I I'd still have a gallery I if if I wouldn't have gone to Miami and wouldn't have done that? Not the gallery that I have now. I think part of Helium Cowboy and the story is that I'm not the local gallery guy that you know opens up and has close relationships to like the local businessmen and local scene. I have a good reputation in Hamburg. I know almost everyone, but there's a very tiny, tiny market in Hamburg. This city is. If somebody comes to me in Hamburg and says, I want to open up a gallery, I say, I hope you're 25, you do this for the next two years, and then you look for a real job. Um, because there is no market in Hamburg, and all the galleries that say, ah, this guy comes around, there are a couple of galleries, like, you know, Ralf Krüger, you know, Feinkunst Krüger, he's been doing this for right. 20 years. He's working his ass off to get keep the shop running. He can't do anything else. It's just like his, you know, sort of his fulfill fulfillment. He just wants to do this. He does shows where he doesn't make any money. He makes shows where he makes a lot of money. And somehow it kind of always works out in the end. But it's not, you don't buy a house from that. Yeah, but you know, the thing of it is, is that's all good and fine. There's very few, most people wouldn't want to do that. You so, know, but like, what I'm saying is, I need to, I need it at that time to, if I wanted to, to think bigger and I wanted to do this gallery for a long time, I have to go out there. There's no, I mean, I don't think that other galleries, except for a few of the larger ones that we have, has such, st still such an international clientele as I do, you know? Uh, but right. I totally agree with you uh, co compared to the investment of that time. You know, sort of, it's it's not much that's left. I, I, you know, I'm just putting it out there. I'm being a devil's advocate. I'm going to push sure. things because yeah. you and I both know each other really well. And we can talk about these things, you know, philosophically, why we did it. I, my point is that I don't think most people would take the risk and done what we've done. Uh, nobody in their right mind would rationally do what we did. And I don't think people realize the risk and what we believed in and, and why the market's changed so much and, you know, why it doesn't really make sense to work that way anymore. Yeah. Like you and I are around the same age and we grew up with a different idea of how the art market worked and the sort of like my you know the person that that i always idolized was leo castelli the new york gallerist and there was a way when i started that relationships were different the whole market was different now the market is in my opinion everyone's in, in instagram artists are all self-promoting collectors are buying directly from artists the whole market's oversaturated there's so much to look at and collectors just want to buy online. They don't care about the interaction, which is just the nature of people and retail as a whole. People don't go to stores. I mean, essentially, one thing I always say is the gallery, at the end of the day, we're retail. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, we're much more than that. Sure. Okay? And that's another conversation, what the gallery is, what it's become, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, people... Don't they, you know, I have collectors in New York that never walked in the gallery that have been like that for 10 years and they would just buy art for me online. I do. I've been doing the almost all my business online for like five or six years. We, even when I was in New York and I had this big New York gallery and we'd have thousand people show up to an opening. Those people weren't buying art. And I always say this over and over again. So people understand the business. 
because it changed so much. And we're still talking about this old business model that unfortunately you and I were blessed Mm -hmm. that we got to experience it and have this success in it and have these amazing, wonderful experiences with people. But unfortunately, that doesn't really exist anymore, at least not in my opinion, or it doesn't in, uh, exist enough. Um, yeah, it's so, and I think so. No, no I'm, I, I agree with you. I just wanted to agree with you at that point. I don't think it, it in that form it exists anymore. Uh, I, I think it's you know. So I agree with you. We're totally blessed that we had the the privilege of being there. But of course, we're not. Well, the privilege is the wrong word. That we took the risk of being there um, and and invested everything into going there. I you know like when I when I did this big um, five years anniversary exhibition in Hamburg, which was at that time the biggest exhibition that any private gallery had ever done in this old uh, rundown and place in the center at the train station, 1,600 square meters, 30 artists from around the world, Most, almost all of them there. It was a huge cost, huge risk, huge, huge investment. But when I saw that place, when this, when this, um, when this real estate um, guy that I know who's a good collector of, of, of my work, and he says, well, I maybe have a place for you. And I said, I'm looking for something like bigger than my gallery now, like 300 square meters. And he came around the corner with this place. And we went there. And I looked at it and said, yes, I do it here. I'll do it at this place and nowhere else. And even if it's the last thing that I'm doing. And that is like a totally different commitment at that time. But it was rewarded. Because people were still very, very interested and very yes. focused, and you did so. You did something unique, you know, um, and uh, and that's that's also another path that we can go down when we didn't even didn't even at the time we didn't even call the whole new style urban art when we just when it still was graffiti and and uh, and street art and people were uh, uh, making uh, um, uh, a name for themselves on the streets, which is not possible anymore these days. Uh, you know, like like in in the way that they did at that time, but this again also another topic for another uh, conversation. But I think yeah. now it has changed. Yes, you can make. I mean, we have more galleries in Hamburg now than 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 we had ever. I think uh, at least since I'm here. Um, and your openings are mostly well visited. Some better, some some less. There are huge spaces that are showing art, but I think there's there's no business model behind all these things. There's no model that can sustain the living of a couple of people and with all the craziness at that time that we did. Like, do you want to come to Miami and show at Scope? And Alexis called me and I said, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you have my name from. Yeah, we have your name from there. And we want to come, you come over and just saying, okay, well, fuck it, great. You know, of course I come. You know, right. who do I take with me? Which what kind of art do I show? Like new experiences, just doing this, you know, sort of different totally different uh time and totally different interest that we got through all these things and attention that we got i don't think i mean and it was really fun yeah it was it was really fun it was really exciting it was really engaging it was really rewarding um there are so many good things about it you make me think about it you make me think about seeing you and meeting you that way and seeing yep. what you were doing and the energy you were bringing to it and and, and that was exciting and that was great. And the funny thing about that, and we, I should say this is, remember there was a point in time, now Scope is all about like, you know, new contemporary, which I hate using that term, mm -hmm. um, lowbrow art, pop surrealism, street art. There was a point in time where I couldn't get in the fair. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. And then yeah. suddenly there was a point in time where if I wanted the front booth yeah. and, I was the, and I was the biggest gallery yeah. in the fair. Yeah. 
funny how these things change. Yeah. But at the time when I remember you were in the fair, I was like, Helium Cowboy is getting in the fair and I can't get in the fair? Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. We were more and, exotic. We we're from Hamburg, Germany. So not many people from Germany were there at that time. So Right. Yeah. That was one of the things that you do. When you mm. oftentimes people don't know this. If you what one of the if you apply to a fair and you're from another country, there's a better chance you're gonna get into it because they want to rep want uh, international representation. Yeah. If you live in their backyard and they're really not into what you're doing, then they don't want you. Do you but the art world was a lot more elitist then. Mm-hmm. So but, which is good and bad. But did you know? So, did you know that? Did I ever tell you that um, after we've done uh, Miami the first year and it was kind of successful, and uh, I remember outside in uh, the, the the fair tents of scope were in this schoolyard, you know, in the baseball pitch basically, where they had also had this boxing uh, match. It was a year before, I think. Yeah, it was 2006, I think. It was, you know, and then at the end of the fair, I'm, I'm standing with Alexis and he's trying to convince me to come to New York, you know, in March. And I said, well, you know, I just, you know, I just pulled out a leg to beer. And he said, yeah, but New York's even better and more important, blah, blah. And then we made a deal, you know. So because that time you could stand outside at the end of the fair with the fair director, um, you know, sort of uh, around a barbecue um, and uh, with a beer in your hand and you made a deal for the next fair, And on right. that next fair, uh, because we kind of, we liked each other, you know, it's always, I, I tr- always try to be very fair in business. He's a nice terms. guy. And he's a nice guy. So we, I like him. Yeah, I like him. So, and we, and then at that time you said, Jörg, you know what we want to do? We want you to be in our selection committee for fair, for, for, for galleries. And oh, he just wanted me to suggest galleries to him that I think are worthwhile you know, sort of being contacted to apply or when they apply to check them out if they're any good, you know, because it was difficult to see from, from New York, from the office in New York, is this a gallery from Italy? Do they make sense? And at that time, we, you know, sort of the European scene was, you know, so you could oversee it. And I, I recommended a couple of galleries to him. And of course, I've asked, you know, if they were, if I was befriended with them, I said, should I even consider you? This is what it's going to cost you. And some of them were happy to do that. And one of the galleries I've I suggested was you, you know, I said, well, I know it's from America, but you need Jonathan Levine in your fair, because if what I'm doing with Helium Cowboy is so high level, high end, then this guy is doing this in your country for many years already. And I think that kind of helped getting the attention for you but also with this international thing we're from germany of course it was much easier for us to get in and as i said i was in a selection committee for to find european galleries who who, who i could you know so who maybe want to go over there or who applied and want to go over there and uh, and uh, and then there was a point when um when they had more and more international galleries especially from europe there was these friends of us uh, from berlin they had a gallery in berlin and then it was kind of a stop for berlin galleries because you know all the galleries in berlin they always wanted to come in they were looking for more exotic places and the the woman the wife of this gallerist she was an artist from poland and her family had a gallery in warsaw so they applied with a gallery from poland and got in instantly. They always applied with a Berlin gallery and never got in. So they took the detour over the, the over the Polish gallery because you know, sort of Scope was excited to announce now we have people from Poland. Yes. You know, so um <laughs> Yeah, well it's funny, I should at that time I I was I had applied, I got in 2005, and then I applied, I didn't get in in 2006. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what happened 2007, then 2008 I was in there with Shepard and mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I remember the door that. was open, mm-hmm. but yeah, sure. the fair changed. It was an impressive it's booth like, at that time. It's basically proving the point of, you know, so like, how can you oversee this person? And then the <laughs> next year he was in Basel yeah, yeah. with Deitch. Yeah. So anyway, um, but, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, and then they had a different people in that fair and everything, but then, you know, they have a lot more competition. Fairs had to change, you know, so, um, but that, that back in the day, you know, it wasn't, a, it was hard to get into fairs. And still, there are certain fairs that I would never, they would never take me. Even when I, you know, I, when I was at my, 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 you know, my gallery was doing really well for like a decade and Nada would never take me unless maybe I. Nada is the gallery Nada of the never, North American Dealer Association, right? So it's very North American at the beginning, at least, right? No, it's a new art, new artist dealer. New artist. Or what is it? It's, it's a New York. Um, okay. And and I was a member too, and they still wouldn't take. They wouldn't take Shepherd mm -hmm. um, at the time. Now I'm sure if they if I applied now they would, but because it's Shepherd, but or if you know they just have a different aesthetic. There's certain fairs that are just not going to take you, even if you're like hugely successful. I mean, there was other galleries that were really successful, much bigger and successful than I am. And they couldn't get into Basel. Remember, Pace Editions couldn't get into Basel, Miami. It took them years. They were always in Art Miami. And now they got, they moved. So, I mean, those, those things change. That's kind of like, uh, we're getting off topic here, but I wanted to get back to the fact that you'd ask me, um, how many artists do I still work yeah. with? And well, I've kind of closed my gallery. So one of the things that happened when I moved out of New York, a lot of people didn't want to show in New Jersey. So okay. there wasn't like a, a lot of loyalty to me to that. But secondly, a lot of artists that I work with period had already kind of like, what happened was it wasn't that artists bailed on me. They just started showing less frequently with me because they had so many other options. They're like, well, I don't feel like showing in New York this year. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go show in Brazil mm -hmm. or I'm going to go show in Germany or I have my LA show. So because there's less and less exclusivity and when the gallery has less and less exclusivity, it's harder and harder for them to make money. And what's the point of investing all this time and energy into artists who aren't invested in you. Sure. So, you know, slowly, or those artists would basically, you know, get picked up by bigger galleries or they would feel like they had outgrown me and they were able to become more independent where they weren't dependent on the gallery system. So they could wait it out. Um, so, that's a lot of what happened. Also what happened is a lot of those artists markets got soft. Half of those artists, at mm. least their markets got really soft and they had to start doing other things to make money or, you know, they sort of in a way outgrew the system. Like they're like, well, I can sell privately. I can deal privately. I can do a museum show here and there. Occasionally I'll do a gallery show. So if you're running a regular program and you, rented that you have a giant space that you have a 10-year lease and you've got whatever seven to ten employees and you're running this big business and these artists all expect you to provide them with certain things and all this stuff these services but yet they're not giving you any consistency so as the internet became more and more of a, a you know strong force and in instagram they weren't as reliant on on the gallery and i don't think anybody even really thought very much about it it's just what they were doing and Nobody was, it was what everybody was doing and it's what everyone's continued to do. So have I explained that clearly? I'm not sure if I have. No, I, no, I think, I mean, for me, of course, I understand we had this topic for some time. It's, it's, um, well, it's not necessarily, I mean, of course, loyalty is a big, big issue, uh, in, in, in the business relations that we have with our artists because there are no normal business relations. Uh, I mean, of course, people always ask for contracts and, you know, why don't we have contracts? And sometimes we do, but not always these contracts are, I mean, the contracts aren't in art are not necessarily worth more than the paper they're printed on. Because, That's exactly because right. What do you, Another conversation. Yeah, yeah, but what do you write in a contract like that? So for like for the next 15 years, we work together and, um, 
and uh, and uh, and then you you know sort of the, the artist doesn't work with you anymore and the other galleries come and say hey you should work with me and the artist says well I, right. well I have this contract here I can't get out of my contract then it's usually you sit together and and let them go because they don't want to be with you because the worst they can do is they can deliver shit shows that's right I see that's purpose, people don't understand you know? they don't understand how much and same thing I could, like, we could do the same you know we could just say oh no there's no space for you in Miami this year oh no you're not going into this show or you give them exhibitions but you only have your ass assistants working on that project and you write it off so there's, there's well, who, yeah, but yeah, yeah you wouldn't do it really because you know of course we're, we're on our side we're the businessman and we don't you know sort of we don't want to fuck this up but um, but as a, you know so there's, there's not much there's not much much value in this and it's, of course it then comes the, 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 the possibility to self-market yourself much better on Instagram or everything and then you have an option to pick from any galleries I have I know, well, I know the many other thing is you also have people contacting you directly mm -hmm. and you know artists they're not supposed to sell that way no. but they so many of them do I wouldn't say they all do but so many of them do and if they and it's kind of like well I can make more money doing this and I'll, a lot of artists one of the complaints I hear from galleries is what they do is they sell a lot on their own mm -hmm. and then every so often They'll have a show at a gallery as sort of like a promotion and a marketing thing to keep them relative relevant in the market. Mm -hmm. And you know, galleries are so desperate they'll take it. So like, you get an artist here, an artist there. Like that's just, I mean, that's a bad business model. That's why the gallery system doesn't really work very well anymore. Because, and I at the end of the day, I don't think it's. I think it's basically evaporating. I don't know what it's going to turn into, but um, personally, that's what I, that's what I meant with you. Can't recommend anyone to open a gallery unless they're 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 strongly uh, severely funded um, or rich or have or have the influence. Um, and we should also mention that either you and I mm -hmm. are not rich. We don't come from rich families, no. and we didn't start our businesses with money. We started our business with naive naivety that's a word naivety naivety i can't even say naivety naivete in german being naive and we we were naive and we were passionate and we were s fortunate for a very long time yeah sure um but i couldn't reckon but there was also the possibility that you could build a business in the way that we did with the relationships that you had. But, you know, absence of people supporting that model, it's not, it can't work. It's just like the music industry. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's the point. This, the whole, the whole model has, has changed. And uh, as it was before, it doesn't work anymore. I have one artist I'm working with at the gallery who I'm working with, like I did in the old days. It's the only artist I do that with. It's very rewarding for both of us because we have a very good relationship and I know I can trust this guy. Um, but it took me like, I mean, I'm doing this for many, many years and I think, uh, I, I changed my model uh you know sort of like in these past years of course also due to the fact that i've always been doing my own art but uh because i don't believe in the in the classic gallery system and i've had i have two points in in the in in, in the history of in the story of helium cowboy where i was considering changing it all together in the way that you did by you know sort of giving up the physical space and not to do pop-up shows but change not doing these shows anymore <laughs> you know not working with artists in that way not you know sort of doing the tradition because i don't believe it in it anymore at all um and what i'm doing now is because i can't get 
the the loyalty and i can't get the, an artist to work with me for many years without looking left right and center all the fucking time. i mean even if an artist comes to you and said york that was amazing showing with you i was in this group show all my five paintings has worked have sold can i do a solo exhibition they said yeah well okay let's think about it. next march oh next year i don't have time because i do a solo exhibition with this gallery and I have two group shops two of them three group shops two of them actually in hamburg where i'm part of but what about the year after and then i say gonna fuck with me or what because that's not how you create a sustainable relationship with an artist and with client base so that's shit for business for me maybe good for the artist because he has 20 shows in the next year where he always will sell and some I, piece one thing i want to mention is they think that's okay because that's what everyone's doing and a lot of other galleries are accepting of that yeah of course so it's great money um, but they'll drop you immediately if you don't tell you if, they, if you don't sell the work you know what these that? galleries will drop the artist immediately if it doesn't sell work there's also well, different the business behavior from galleries, the galleries they're not going to be able to last because these well, this is not a sustainable business model it's just it is kind of a hamster wheel everyone's just running around it's like a giant orgy mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like a giant orgy orgy and there's no marriage happening out of it you know i don't know <laughs> you know it's like yeah. and that's great if you want to run and have a giant giant orgy but like yeah all the diseases and infections Oh, <laughs> <laughs> they were. Uh, but you, so I was going to say is I, I haven't just to clarify. Um, I'm not sure what I'm doing moving forward. Um, I have a new space that I just moved into last week, mm-hmm. and I'm in Jersey City, and I have an office, and I actually have an exhibition space, and I may do exhibitions in occasionally. I may not. I may do pop ups. I may not. Mm-hmm. I may produce other exhibitions in other people's places. I may not, at the end of the day, I have to one, be excited about it. And two, it's got to make financial sense. Um, having to run a regular space and continually filling it with content is too challenging, especially when, I mean, listen, in the greatest years of my gallery, we were generating a lot of money, but I was never super profitable. You'd have a lot of shows that made money. People say, Oh my God, you just sold $300,000 worth of work. Like you must be rich. I'm like, sure. no. And then you're like, well, the show, two shows after that, I didn't, I lost money or I broke even. Like, so a lot of the bigger shows were selling for the other, paying for the other shows. They were supporting, completely supporting these artists' careers. I've had artists that I've worked with for decades that I literally, at the end of it all, I lost money on. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And I don't, you know, I, I, you know, you don't ever spell these things out for people. Um, the only, people who'd really know would be the artists themselves. And they might not because they don't really understand the cost of running a gallery, running a gallery like I did in New York City with all the services we provided. We basically provided artists with what would can be a gallery, a high-end mid-level, level ga- high-end mid-level gallery that um, pro- treated you like you were exclusive, but you didn't have to be completely exclusive. So we weren't really making the money back that we should have for the investment we put into. And any business person would look at this business model, any like rational business person and say, this is the worst business model I've ever seen. Yeah, but, you know, so if you moved a lot of money around, you know, it's just like, it didn't, you know, so, I mean, I had, I had really good years with the gallery where if you'd look at the books, the, 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 the basically the turnover was amazing, but what, uh, you know, sort of remained at the end is, uh, is difficult. And especially when markets get more complicated and difficult, you're very vulnerable in this model. Let's put it like this. That's right. You know, so there's a, you know, so like a lot of the galleries work from exhibition to exhibition. 
That's right. Uh, and see what happens there. I've just got towards the end of the year a couple of newsletters. I still I still like and enjoy newsletters. So I get newsletters from galleries, and uh, there's a couple of them now that towards the end of the year they have their the annual year end sale, but they're also closing doors uh, towards the end of the year. And I think for you, um, as 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 terribly sorry I am that you're closing your galleries um, or your space, your physical space. I, I, a, I know that you know something good will come of it, and B, I think it's important for you to to look at it, what you actually want to do. And we both agree on the point that the normal gallery model is over. So now you probably have time to think about what it could be because you will not open. Uh, a shop for clothing, you know, or develop some internet uh, um, uh, startup or something. I'm pretty fucking sure you're going to stay in the art. Uh, yeah, no, it gives you the opportunity to not be looking for the next thing, the next thing, the next yeah. thing. It gives you a chance to sit back and relax. It may take me five years to figure yeah. it out. Yeah. I don't, I hope it doesn't. I mean, if it does, it does, you know, as long as I'm happy. And, um, at this stage, the market is so volatile, so all over the place that you have to sort of step back. I mean, I'm still, I'm doing online exhibitions. I'll probably do some art fairs. Um, I'm going to be doing a variety of different things. I will truly become a project. Mm -hmm. um, I have a lot of interesting things that I'm working on and, you know, I just see what's going to stick. And it gives me a chance now to sit back and really look at it and explore it and see what works, what doesn't work. What do people actually care about? What they, do, they don't care about? And I can actually have really honest conversations with artists about what they want. And I'm not going to go hustle people and be like, hey, come show with me. I'm like, if you don't see any value in what I have to do, when I, that, that what I can provide for you, then there's no point in us working together. And that makes things easier. I'm not going to go chasing these relationships. Geez, I hope I get this show so I can make some money. I mean, I hope, you know, it's almost like saying, geez, I hope I can like, you know, chase after some girl and date her for a little while, even though I know I'm probably going to lose her. Like, what's the point of that? Yeah. There's no point in that. That's true. So, I don't know if that's a good analogy, but that's... I think it's, <laughs> it's, one, it's one that's very uh, relatable. Relatable? Is that an English word? That you can, you can easily yes. relate to. <laughs> um, but yes. yeah, um, yeah, let's not forget I'm not a native speaker here. Um, but then there's, uh, this, you just said you have a, you just have a new space. You like you have an office and, uh, and, and a smaller space, you know, so if you also probably need to store still uh, a lot of the art that you still have. Yeah, I've like, I still have a lot of storage I have, you know, so there's storage. I still, you know, people, I'm not out of business, you know, I'm actually no. probably the cost of running my business, my like private practice is more than most galleries actually will even spend i still have a couple employees and oh, okay you know it costs money to run a space and it costs a lot of money to run a space even in jersey city mm -hmm. it might as well be brooklyn so you know cost of you know labor is really high people always think uh you know all your cost is your rent now my most expensive cost was always my labor but if people mm -hmm. sure. sit down and do the math which most people don't they'll realize mm -hmm. that but you know people people don't think like that so yeah that's a figure that's sometimes there where i i mean i the best times of helium cowboy i mean the gallery model just to get when we were still running good was uh and it was also always my highest 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 investment was stuff you know good stuff is always very important these last years I carry a lot of it on my shoulder, but I've just basically, I just made the ship smaller and smaller and smaller. I mean, not the gallery and not the outreach and not what I'm doing here, but in terms of cost. 
in right. terms of you know sort of like efficiency of stuff like that and that's right. and that's um and that's that's uh, i think that's that's a, that's the thing that's also often neglected we're doing a lot of stuff on our own where we could actually use a couple of people the stuff i wanted to do today when i came into the gallery um is totally different from the stuff i ended up doing you know because i um I had to do some some marketing for this exhibition, so I got the photos from the vernissage, and I, you know, selected them and uploaded them, and then I did the posts on Facebook and on Instagram and on the websites. And I, all the time, I was thinking like, this would be so easy to hand over to somebody else, <laughs> you know. And I, and it's actually not. This is not where I make money with. I should do give this to somebody else. But it's yeah. very difficult to find the right people and to find a constant, you know, sort of thing. But slowing down and reducing. The, the amount of, 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 of shows also gave me the, the opportunity, um, to think about what, what, what's next, you know. But I mean, that's, that's not actually what I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you something, something different. Um, and I think that, that when it's a sign, when I, when I, uh, in 2012, 13, around that time, business was, uh, was, was terrible here. Um, I was still holding on. I had just released my last employee uh, into the world, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> and was standing here and was saying, "Fuck this! I'm gonna I'm gonna put this this big heavy backpack down on the floor and just gonna leave. I'm just gonna close shop." I had many many people when I talked to them. You can't do that. You're you you can't close Helium Cobo. It's very important for Hamburg. It's very important for the art scene. And um, when I talked about it, and in the end, I didn't. Because it's also like a big sign, you know. But you just—I um, mean, let let me put it in this way: you had the balls to just say, go on Facebook, on Instagram, and say, "Sorry, guys, I'm going to close my physical space. Jonathan Levine Gallery has to reinvent itself. I'm not going back." Well, how was that? I mean, you're probably not very—you were probably very nervous when you posted that. But how was? I mean, I saw reactions that that were mostly positive. Um, how did that go for you? I mean, you're, you're, and you, you are and have been for many years the biggest fish in that pond that we're, you know, sort of fishing in. You know, interestingly, you know, my feeling about it and, uh, I mean, I, I think it went well. I think it actually, I, I, I think it went a lot quieter than I thought it was going to go. I thought people were going to be more surprised or it was going to be more a topic of conversation more in the negative than the positive. Um, I had a lot of good positive feedback, which I'm grateful for. Um, but it, it, you know, at the same time, I wasn't ultimately surprised because that's how things are in the world these days. Like nothing, every day you wake up and like in the U S you know, there's a shooting, we have this clown of a president every day. It's something else. It's a total circus at all times. So like, who really cares about some dude who ran a gallery? He closed. <laughs> so fucking what? That's true. Um, you know, it, the people that it was important to, but at the same time, a lot of the people that it was important to, their lives have changed. Their perspectives have changed. Their opportunities have changed. You know, I was, I was no, I mean, I still think that I was still a very much a part of this sort of hierarchy of taste. And I think I still probably am. But people have so many other options of places to look. Like when I started, it was just me and a handful of galleries doing this. Now there's just hundreds yeah. of galleries. There's thousands of artists doing this. You know, it's changed. 
so, you know, I was relieved. I know it was the right decision. I probably should have done it a while ago, but I just couldn't let go. It was too hard of a thing to really be like, I have to do this. I had to play it out mm -hmm. um, to some extent to the detriment of myself. Um, you know, it's still, it's a, it's a transitional process, you know? So, you know, I would say that to some extent I'm kind of lost, but not lost in a bad way. I'm just kind of floating and just trying to figure things out and, you know, being focusing on what's important, um, which is, you know, my mental health, my spiritual health, you know, my physical health, uh, the people I have all the same close friends I've always had, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the one I give you, it was a job. It's a job. You know, I mean, yes, it's a, it was a big, it is a big part of my identity and who I am, but you know, in a deeper way, you know, I have, I have far more than, I have a great family and I great friends and all those sort of things. And, you know, I don't know, I guess, I'm not sure if I'm really answering this question. I'm, I think I'm still processing it. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you and it might be a lot easier to talk about kind of a year from now and we will or a couple of years from <laughs> yeah. now we're now in uh, around about one and a half hours i think um right we um i definitely enjoyed this a lot and i think we've covered a few things and i think if we continue talking we'll be sitting here tomorrow Absolutely. morning i mean my morning your evening <laughs> um yeah man i like i guess put it out there try it out see how it yeah. works and then we'll try another yeah, one we, we, we should we should thank you Jonathan for uh, you know sort of taking your time and um, for doing this with me I hope that the technology that we're using is working um, good yes. enough um, and if this very first podcast that we're doing right now should be at some edges be or you know hear some background noises or whatever we're gonna work on that um, because this is like a debut for us right that's right. right thank you my man and I would say thank you thank you for having me and this was a good fun and great conversation right, cool. thanks I'll talk to you soon cheers, cheers.